when we're reading the, ser- the Jesus Sermon on the Mount, part of it, the beginning of it, and it's really divided into, t- into two parts. Uh, the first part is intended particularly for Jesus' disciples, and he gathers them, and then, and then later on it's for all the people who would, who would be in, in his audience. Early in Jesus' ministry, he realized that uh, he would need a lot of help to carry out his ministry. And he would need people who would be like salt and who people who would be like light in the world. They would need to be uniquely blessed by his Father. I would ask you to listen for the job descriptions of Jesus' followers who are shaped not by some rules of the HR department, but rather are shaped by God's blessings. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all those who were sick, those who were afflicted with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, and paralytics, and he cured them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak to his disciples, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who went before you. You who are blessed as my disciples, you are the salt of the earth. I would like to have you stand for this part because this really is the whole point of the whole Sermon on the Mount and, and, and it particularly applies to you and me today. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything, but it's thrown out and trampled underfoot. You who are blessed as my disciples are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hidden. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The word of our Lord. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Pastor Hub is uh, our senior pastor emeritus here and has been at Shepherd for a long time. Uh, I'm glad, Hub, that you pointed out that the last part of the text is uh, the most important part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, because it's the part that I'm going to completely ignore. So, (laughs) I clearly have much left to learn, apparently. (laughs) 
So with that in mind, just ignore what I have to say for the next 10 minutes. (laughs) Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, stir up your holy power this day and come. Send your spirit into our hearts, our minds, our souls, and our ears so that we might hear a word for us today anew and so that we too might then live out that which we believe. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So the other day I had uh, somebody who recommended to me that I, uh, I like to watch documentaries on Netflix and somebody recommended to me that I watch the documentary about this music festival called Fire. Has anybody heard of this or seen this documentary? Raise your hand. Okay, if you haven't, you should go see it. It's terrible. It's frightening and terrifying all at the same time. Uh, It's about this guy named Billy McFarland, who's a 20 or 30-something-year-old entrepreneur, and he decides to create this app, and it's connected to the music industry, and he's going to start this big, ginormous festival, this music festival called Fire. They buy a private island, and it turns out that that doesn't exactly turn out, but they're going to have this uh, uh, music festival on this private island, There's a rapper who's helping him promote the thing. They recruit all these supermodels to come down to the island. They shoot a promotional video. Uh, They pay these people called influencers. Do you know what influencers are these days? These are people that have like YouTube channels or are famous in some way and they promote things. So rather than running ads, they have famous people say that they're interested in this event. Well, the whole thing just absolutely crumbles and falls apart and it's, it's just an unbelievable story. But it highlights for me the weirdness sometimes of the culture that we live and swim in that has all these things to do with fame and stardom and oversized personality and just reality TV and all of the weirdness that we sort of swim in that we pretend often to call reality. Only, I mean, you're smart. I know you know this already. It's not really reality. But what is real? So I think, if we look at the story that Jesus has for us today, the story that Pastor Hub read, this is Jesus' State of the Union address. If we were Jewish, or we had Jewish ears, or were more attuned to the Jewish scripture, we would know that what Jesus is doing at the beginning of this story sounds and looks a lot like Moses. He is going up a mountain, just like Moses did, and then Moses comes down with the Ten Commandments we would recognize this as sounding like Jesus going up the mountain just like Moses did. Only he doesn't give us the Ten Commandments. And the people that come to follow Jesus are not the ones that are the rich, they're not the powerful, they're not the famous, they're not influencers. In fact, the people that come to hear Jesus are the sick, those who are possessed, they're epileptics, they're paralegics, there's people who are sick and crippled. They're not the wealthy, they're the hungry. And also, sort of unlike Moses, however, one of the things that Jesus does is he actually sits down and his disciples come up to hear him. In some ways, this State of the Union address for Jesus to talk about what reality is really like looks more like a king than he does like Moses. He sits down, the disciples come to hear, and he begins to teach them. Now, one of the things that I know that happens a lot for many of us is when we hear that Jesus brought all of these people who were sick and they came to get healed by him, that's a weird thing for many of us. It's hard, I know, to believe that there were miracles that happened. And in Jesus' day, there were things like this that were happening all over the place. And it's okay to doubt that Jesus did these things because I don't think that's actually the point. 
The point that when God's reality comes into the world, people get healed. They get made whole. What God is after in the world is healing and wholeness for you and for me and for all the people who are poor and hungry and sick. You don't have to necessarily believe that all the miracles happened, but in fact believe that when God comes near, wholeness and healing happens. And that God is worried particularly about the least among us, those who are cold, those who are hungry, those who are vulnerable, or those who are on the outside. So I want to do this. I want to, I want to take three different ways of maybe unpacking and looking at this, what we often call the Beatitudes, or what I would call as Jesus' State of the Union Address. The first is through the lens of a guy named Professor Pape, who is a professor at Brit Divinity School in Fort Worth, Texas. I don't know him. We've never met. I'm stealing some of his words this morning as a particular perspective. So these are his words. I'm just riffing off them a little bit. So think of this as one big quote that I'm taking some significant liberty with this morning. He says this, What if the Beatitudes are actually a description of reality? And what reality in that case do they actually describe? Certainly, they don't describe the reality in which we live and breathe and swim. Blessed are the meek, Jesus says, but in our reality, the meek don't get the land. They get left holding the worthless beads. In fact, blessed are the loud and aggressive, for they will be heard and they will win. Blessed are the merciful, Jesus says, but in our reality, Mourning may be tolerated for a little while, but soon we'll ask you to pull yourself together and, in fact, move on. In fact, blessed are the merciless, for they will acquire everything that they desire. Blessed are the pure in heart, Jesus says, but in our reality, often, those people are dismissed as hopelessly naive. In fact, blessed are the cold-hearted. After all, it's just business. It's nothing personal. Blessed are the peacemakers, Jesus says, but in our reality, those who pursue peace often risk having their patriotism called into question. To which of these blessings do our national leaders refer to when they insist that God bless America? In fact, none of these. For our national creed is one of optimism, not mourning, confidence, not poverty of spirit, and abundance, not hunger or thirst of any kind. And it is, in fact, in service of such things that we invoke and assume that God's blessing is present. When, in fact, blessed are the war machines, for they will make millions and sell arms across the globe to the highest bidders. So if we are, in fact, honest with ourselves, we live by other beatitudes. Blessed are the well-educated, for they're the ones that are going to get the best jobs. Blessed are the well-connected, For their aspirations will not go unnoticed, and they will get into the best schools, have the best jobs, and live in the best neighborhoods, and drive the best cars. Blessed are you when you know what you want and go after it with everything you've got, for God helps those who know their purpose. Blessed are those who seize power, for they'll get what they want. Blessed are those who live their best lives now, for they are healthy, wealthy, wise, and beautiful. If we're honest... We must admit that the world Jesus asserts as fact is not the world that we have far too often made for ourselves. Like the Ten Commandments, we must admit that we fall short of even our own best hopes and dreams for ourselves and the world, let alone falling short of God's hopes and dreams for each of us. But what if, 
What if these blessings are actually for you? What, what if the crowd that Jesus is talking to is the very crowd that's right here? What if you are the crowd that Jesus is talking to? What if you are those who have come because you are the ones who are in need? What if you are the ones who are God's beloved? Blessed are you, you, who are poor in spirit, for God loves you. I know that there are those of you who are here who are poor in spirit, those who feel lost, wearied, troubled, anxious, worried, stressed, strained, lonely, struggling. You are the ones whom God calls beloved. Blessed are you who mourn, for God knows what it is to lose a son, a husband, a father. I know you're here. I wish you to know and feel God's pain and feel God's love for you. Blessed are the meek, the quiet, the contemplative, the introverts, the ones who mull. You too are God's beloved. As the world seems loud and aggressive, your inheritance is great. You are loved in your stillness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, who care for those out in the cold, who care for those who are poor, who love those who are hungry, who are caring for those who are addicted and sick and in hospitals and hospice. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they are blessed. The problem, I think, is sometimes we know ourselves all too well and don't believe that we're worthy of God's love or worthy of God's attention or that when God blesses those in the community, he's not talking about us. Sometimes I think we have to earn God's love or earn God's respect or earn the respect of others or we're too proud, in fact, to accept God's love and grace. David Lowe, one of my favorite preachers and teachers, says this about when he was in graduate school. He says, when I was in graduate school, one of my teachers, Dr. Cleopas LaRue, would regularly address me as Dr. Lose. Eventually, it made me uncomfortable enough that I said to him, but Dr. LaRue, I haven't finished my degree. I haven't earned my doctorate yet. I don't think you should call me that. Dr. Lose, Cleo LaRue was this big, giant, African-American man. He said, but Dr. Lose, he patiently responded, in the African-American church, we are not content to call you what you are, but instead, we believe in calling you what you are meant to be. Blessing, unexpected, unsettling, nearly inconceivable, yet blessing nonetheless. As an example, yesterday I took my niece, uh, Tilly, who's almost four, over to uh, Stages Theater, and we uh, went to go see The Three Bears, and she wanted to sit next. She always insists on the order of where we all sit. You probably know this. Four-year-olds are very particular about where people sit. So I had to sit on one side and Grandpa had to sit on the other and she's sitting in her booster chair and we're watching the three bears and it's about halfway through the performance and all of a sudden she just sort of leans over on me and then she grabs my hand and starts holding my hand and then all of a sudden she's laying on me and she's out of her booster seat and she's sitting in my lap now all of a sudden and then she just turns around and just sort of starts holding onto me. The show was not that great, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> and I just overwhelming sense of undeserved love. I didn't do anything. I know, I know somebody's going to say you're a great uncle. I'm not. I'm pretty boring. <laughs> but she just came right over and sat down and sat in my lap and hugged on me. This is what God does to you. These blessings are for you. 
And then, what if the Beatitudes are simply reality, a more true reality than the reality that we often live in? Dr. Caroline Lewis, when she talked about this uh, particular passage about the Beatitudes, it was about three years or two years ago, uh, and she decided that because of the Beatitudes, she needed to go march in one of the women's marches. And she said she went, and one of the things that she felt was this overwhelming sense of freedom, not because of herself, not because of what she was doing, but because of all the people she was doing it with and all the people that she was doing it for. When we exercise our gifts, our skills, our passions, and our loves for the sake of other people, there is some sense of blessing that actually arises within us unexpectedly. It comes out and finally just takes hold of us. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who many of you may know, was one of the most influential theologians during World War II, and he says this about the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is the word of the one who did not relate to reality as a foreigner, as a reformer, as a fanatic, or the founder of religion, but as one who bore and experienced the nature of reality in his own very being and body, who spoke out of the depth of reality as no other human being on earth ever before. The Sermon on the Mount is the word of the very one who is Lord and law of reality, The Sermon on the Mount is to be understood and interpreted as the word, the truth of God who became human. So that the issue at stake when the question of historical action is raised, and here it must prove that that action in accord with Christ is action in accord with actual reality. Action in Christ does not originate in some ethical principle, but in the very person of Christ. To act as if the Beatitudes are true is to live as if that actually is the reality in which you live. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called blessed. To love your neighbor isn't an ethic. It's living more deeply into the actuality of the world, despite the things that we so often see. The world of culture, of power, fame, money, wealth, lust, luxury. The world of Facebook, keeping up with the neighbors, looking perfect the world of your best life now, these things aren't sinful in some moralistic sort of sense, but they aren't actually true. They're lies. They're not actual reality. Reality sounds more like Jesus. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And you, people of God, are the ones who are blessed. Amen.